coming up next on Abounding Grace. Nothing in our lives is wasted by God. Even those things that are meant for evil, God is going to use for good. Nothing is going to undermine the will of God in your life. Nothing's going to sidetrack God on the plan and the purpose, or as we've learned, the recipe that God has for your life. And yeah, there's some things in there that's just like, man, does this cake really need that? Because it's nasty. I mean, is this really what I've got to get? And, and I don't know how it's going to work because by itself, it just tastes so bad. But in the hands of the faithful one that we've submitted our lives to, he's able to put it all together and mix it all together for the good. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Is God working even in that? Have you ever thought or said something along those lines? Perhaps it was on the heels of a great tragedy in someone's life or on a much larger scale, like a national crisis. Today on Abounding Grace, we visit Romans 8.28, which answers that for us. And we'll learn through it all that nothing is wasted by God. He's wanting to work in our lives to make us into something beautiful. Pastor Ed Taylor will use Joseph as an example, and he starts off today in the kitchen using a cooking illustration to help us better grasp this truth. You see, God, you could say, has a recipe for your life. We often refer to that as a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And he's going to take, you know, the good parts like sugar, and he's going to mix it with the bad parts like cream of tartar, and he's going to mix it up. He's going to put it in the oven, and through the heat of trials and difficulties, the finished product's going to come out. God has a plan for your life. And God will allow in measured quantities some things that you don't think are desirable. And God is going to prohibit certain things in your life that, that you think you really need. And God says that's not what you need in order to get you at the end result. Nothing is wasted. You look at things and you go, man, what is this, Lord? Why this? And you remember God's working all things together for the good. He uses the eggs and he uses the flour and he uses the sour and the sweet and the good and the bad. They come to us all because God loves us. And he's working all things together for our good, for our best, for his will. When we come back to Romans 8, 28, it's easy to read this verse this way. And now we know that most things work together for the good. It's easy to read it, and now we know that some things work together for the good. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us that God works all things together for the good. It's not most, it's not some, it's all of it. All the difficulties, even if those difficulties go way back to your childhood and to your upbringing all the way to your present day. I think throughout the scriptures, if there's ever a man that understands this truth, it would be Joseph. 
Joseph understands this so well. His life speaks to us of a testimony of God working all things together for for good. God's recipe for his life had both its ups and downs. And I encourage you to spend some time reviewing his life today. A, A full 13 chapters in the book of Genesis cover Joseph's life. From chapter 37 all the way to the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 50 contain insights on Joseph's life. And Joseph lived out this truth. Even as you read his life, as you go, even though you know the end, as you're reading his life, you may come and go, I don't know how God's going to use this. And I don't know how God's going to use this. And I don't ever want to expect. And you, you, you might even be shocked the things that Joseph went through. You know, Jacob, his dad, loved him. That's really how things open up. Jacob loves Joseph. So much so that of all of his brothers... Jacob alone gives Joseph a very special coat, a unique coat that he gave. You could even say that Jacob probably showed some favoritism to his son Joseph, but his brothers hated him deeply. Their hatred was rooted in envy and jealousy and like wildfires that we're praying for even today, envy and jealousy rage. And they decided to remove him from the family and they throw him into a pit and they take a message home to dad lying about his his youngest son saying he's dead, he was eaten by animals and from the pit they end up selling him they show a little compassion they end up selling him as a literal slave imagine that your own brother and sister turning on you to the point where they sell you as a literal slave. That's how Joseph's life begins. All the while, they also made it very hard for their dad, thinking that he had lost his son. It was from that darkened pit, Joseph sold into slavery, and he ends up as a servant to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar was a man with great power and, and, and great pull, and Joseph was a faithful servant. Whatever he put his hand to, the Bible says that he was faithful. And he did what he needed to do in the circumstances that he was in. He was so faithful with his, with his new master, Potiphar, that he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. No, no doubt there was a, a winsomeness and a handsomeness about Joseph and caught Potiphar's wife's eye to the point where she passionately pursued him to have sex. To, to somehow commit sexual sin with Joseph. And he resisted, and he resisted, and she kept pushing, and she kept pushing, till finally he resisted to the point of running away without his clothing on. He had decided he would rather be embarrassed without his clothing than sin against his master and ultimately to sin against God. I mean, here's a man that has made the right decisions over and over and over again only to seemingly be rewarded with great pain and sorrow. What is he rewarded with for his sexual purity? She accused him of rape, to which was a false accusation, but he had no defense. Potiphar, siding with his wife, throws Joseph in prison to where he spent 13 years of his life there. Most of those years, he spent hopeful that he would be remembered, but he was actually forgotten. 
Until one day, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, king of the known world at the time, he had a dream that troubled him and word got back to him, hey, there's a guy in prison that can interpret dreams. And God remembered Joseph there and Joseph was brought before Pharaoh, interpreted the dream and he becomes second in command. Pharaoh's right-hand guy. And God uses Joseph because there was a famine coming and God uses Joseph to put food away and prepare the world for an upcoming seven-year famine. His faithfulness continues. And he's in a great place of great power and great wealth and great stature. And ultimately, it appears that everything works out. But see, there's, it's, there's more, as Paul said, there's more than what meets the eye. If you just looked at, the, at, at his physical life, you would say, wow, things did turn out well. But there's a spiritual reality going on behind the scenes that's even greater. Because you see, God wants to deal with the nation of Israel through the sons of Jacob. He wants to teach them and prepare them for what's up ahead. What's up ahead, by the way, is the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ, Messiah. And God, through every status, even through Joseph's life, is preparing for the coming of Messiah still thousands of years away. And so God has set this up and used all the calamities in Joseph's life, working them all together for what? Joseph's good and God's glory. Let me show you what I mean. Would you turn over to Genesis chapter 45 with me? Genesis chapter 45. I mean, as you follow along the life of Joseph, you might think, man, this guy's just going through it. I, how's he going to make it through? You, you might approach him and go, is this how you treat God's kids? Is this a reward for loving you and serving you and faithfulness? And you can imagine Joseph might have felt that as well, but never anywhere in the Bible does Joseph question God or share any of the things that we might feel if we were going through his circumstances. There was never a bitterness about him, never a sourness, a never any caustic thing coming out of his mouth. He wasn't expecting a pit or prison or slavery or false accusations or loneliness. And yet, after Joseph ascends to the throne, we come to, uh, to second in command. We come to Genesis 45, verse 1. He meets his brothers who come for help. And this is the great reveal, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I got you now. No, no, it's not what it says. He says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And... His brothers could not answer because they were dismayed in his presence. I think so. I think I know what they were expecting. And Joseph says in verse 4, Please come near to me. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph responds to the circumstances in his life by looking to God. There's no bitterness in his heart. 
There, there's no desire to get even or to make things worse, which he's certainly in a position to do. He instead calls his brothers close, and he doesn't rub it in, doesn't make them feel bad. He just forgives them, checks in on his dad. And the real question for us, especially with the kind of help that we need in troubling times, or the kind of help that we need for our troubled hearts, can we have that kind of heart with people that have hurt us? Can, can, we, can we really extend forgiveness even if they don't want to receive it or don't accept it? You see, whenever you and I choose to forgive, we release that person from their debt against us, but we also release ourselves from the prison of pain and bitterness. You don't really want them to pay for it, do you? You don't really want them to feel bad or be grieved or angry with themselves, do you? All those experiences would destroy their lives. It would crush them under the weight. No, we want them in a right place with Jesus. And the way that that comes is by forgiveness. That great revelation of God's forgiveness. What was his key in particular? What was it about Joseph that kept him from bitterness all these years? You sold me, he could have said. You spent that money. You were happy I was gone. You lied to our dad. You made him cry night and day. You ruined our family. You wrecked everything. But instead, his focus was on God. Three times. Did you notice it? Three times. He describes the whole entire, his, he summarizes his whole life. Three times. Verse 5, he says, God sent me. Verse 7, he says, God sent me. Verse 8, so now it wasn't you that sent me here but God. That was the perspective that kept Joseph grounded in faith. Joseph knows God sent me. God sent me. God sent me. It's almost as if he could say to his brothers, you credit yourself way too much for what you did because God, he worked all things together for good. He redeems it all. Even as I was praying with a brother last night, he came up after service and his face was a little familiar, but not too much. I remember faces far better than I remember names. And, and so he came up and waited till after the service. And he says, hey, Ed, do you, Pastor Ed, do you remember me? And I said, you know, I sort of, I sort of kind of remember, but not really. And he says, yeah, I've changed a lot. He was here many years ago. And then I haven't seen him in many years. And he was here because he moved down south. And what happened between the years he was here and the, year, the, the time I saw him last night, what happened was meth. He got addicted to meth and it wrecked him. He was showing me in his arms how his muscles are gone. You could see the gauntness in his face. You could see what it did to his complexion. You could see what it did to his eye sockets. And you could see the damage that, it done, that he had done to himself through his drug use, through this methamphetamines. And, and he came here in, in, in a desperate sense. He was visiting up here for something and he says, I just need to go back to Calvary. I need to talk to pastor and, and I want him to pray for me. And he came up and we talked and, and he asked me to pray. He was desperate. He said, I just pray that God will do a work of restoration in my life. I, I want to be restored. He says, pastor, please pray over me a prayer of restoration. 
And so we gathered together, we laid hands on him, Jim and I, and we laid hands and I began to pray. And I began to pray whatever came to mind. And what ended up coming to mind as I was ending the prayer was a promise that God gave to me many, many years ago. Many years ago, it was a promise in the book of Joel, chapter 2, where God is giving the promise to the children of Israel, and he's telling them, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And for so many years, that was a, it propelled me in many different decisions to the point where I, 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 I kind of measured it this way. I was looking forward to the day where I served God with all of my life more years, even just one second more than I served the enemy and I served this world before I got saved. And that was an important date for me. Unfortunately, a tragedy took place in my life and I lost track of that peace, but it happened. I have served God more than I have served this rotten, wicked, nasty world because God restores. And I was able to pray with hands on this brother and just knowing because he's, he's afraid. You know, man, and he's afraid. And this is what happens. This is what happens. You know, people, people see problems and then they lo- load more condemnation on the person. And somebody really close to him has been telling him, well, you did this to yourself. You did this to yourself. You did this to yourself. You know, people don't really need to be reminded of that. It's one of the things they remember every single day. It's true. And I did agree with him. I said, you know what, brother? You're right. You did this to yourself. But God is bigger than what you do to yourself. And you're right. You don't need to carry around this guilt and this shame of the bad decisions that you've made. Because we all make bad decisions. It's just by the grace of God that we would be in the place that you're at. And I was able to pray with confidence. I was able to pray with confidence knowing that God is the restorer, that God is working something behind the scenes that maybe we don't see yet. It's not revealed yet, but when it is... Well, well, let me show you one more. Turn over to Genesis 50 now, verse 20. When it's revealed, we're going to be able to look back and say, this is what God did. This is what God did. This is what God did. And Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can create your own little cross-references. Genesis 50, 20 is the Romans 8, 28 of the Old Testament. And just, to, just understand this, Joseph's living out Romans 8, 28 before it was ever written. Why? Because it reflects the character and nature of our eternal God. It was happening even before it was put down on, in print Because God is that way, God will be that way, and God has always been that way throughout history. And Genesis 50, 20 is the Romans 8, 28 of the Old Testament. And Joseph's speaking again, and he looks at his brothers, and he says, don't be afraid, verse 19, for I'm in the place of God, but as for you, you meant evil against me. That's the truth. But God meant it for good. And that's the truth. In order to save and bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And that's the banner in your life and the banner in mine. That nothing in our lives is wasted by God. That even those things that are meant for evil, God is going to use for good. Nothing is going to undermine the will of God in your life. Nothing's going to sidetrack God on the plan and the purpose, or as we've learned, the recipe that God has for your life. And yeah, there's some things in there that's just like, man, does this cake really need that? Because it's nasty. 
I mean, is this really what I've got to get? And, and I don't know how it's going to work because by itself it just tastes so bad. But in the hands of the faithful one that we've submitted our lives to, he's able to put it all together and mix it all together for good. Not everything happens is going to taste good. You might find yourself tricked one day by somebody with these little jelly beans <laughs> and just like, what is this? And they're over snickering at you and you said what you meant for evil. God is meant for good. You know, you may just walk into something. You might wake up to something. A text message might lead to something horrible and bad. Life can change with a phone call, with a car accident, with a medical visit. Life changes and it's bitter and caustic and it doesn't taste well. Things that are unpleasant. But God is working all things together in the right quantities, at the right amounts, with the right mixing, with the right heat, with the right timing, and will always turn out for your good and His glory. That never changes. So we need to learn to bear up under, right? Perseverance, that's what's being developed in us. Not quitting, steadying on. Another... Another um, person I talked to last night was a teenage girl. A family had brought her up to, to talk to her because she's been suicidal lately. And, and she has, she's, you know, she's alive, she's not gone through with it, um, but she's been overwhelmed by these feelings and they, they wanted me to talk to her and wanted me to pray with her. And, and as I was, I was just reminded I was just constantly reminded how the enemy is just wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. And this poor girl, she is living out some of the things that, that we're reading in Joseph's life. He was just a young man when things were happening to him. But being her, being, being her, her first time here and being encouraged by the youth ministry and being encouraged by the family was here and, be, and then being encouraged after the service, I believe she left with a smile on her face. She left with a glimmer of hope. She left being reminded of her faith. Uh, it was so beautiful because I asked her, you know, I never take any assumptions whether a person saved or not. And so I, I asked her about her relationship with the Lord and she just went on and went on and went on. And it was a beautiful thing, not only to hear, but for her to say it and hear herself say it because there's encouragement in your walk and relationship with God. But we can't, we, we, we have to be careful, church, just as we head out, to not assume anything about anybody and, and to be very, very careful to serve them well, take them right directly to the cross of Jesus Christ where hope is found. Because then if we take them there, then we're going to be there and we're going to be encouraged right where with them. In the, and, and yeah, we may not have an answer for the big thing that's in your life right now. And I may not know when it's going to end, even though I wish it ended yesterday like you do. And, and I don't know how he's going to provide here. And I don't know how God's going to show up here. And I don't know how much of this he's going to allow over there. And I don't know how long you're going to carry that. I don't know, but I do know this. My Bible says, and has been proven to be true time and time again, for we know that all things work together for the good, for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. It's true. God is working even in that. That's the great comfort we find in Romans 8.28, and we hope it encouraged your heart today. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in a series called Help for the Troubled Heart. 
And I'd imagine this is just what many of you are needing to hear right now as you're in the midst of a difficult season of life. If you'd like to request this entire series or today's study alone, please call 877-30-GRACE. You can also access the studies online at helpforthetroubledheart.com. Our special offer to you today is Pastor Ed's entire series, Help for the Troubled Heart, on a USB thumb drive. This customized thumb drive can plug into your car or computer, making it easy to listen to wherever you go. We'll send it to you with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more. And remember, your donation allows us to bring the teaching of God's Word to this station every day. You'll be helping many others grow and be encouraged by God's abounding grace. Call us at 877-30-GRACE. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. Search for Calvary Aurora. And you might also want to download the Grace FM Colorado app for more biblical encouragement. If your heart is troubled today and you'd like someone to pray for you, we'd invite you to send in your requests for prayer at calvaryaurora.org. Friend, remember, God has a purposeful plan for your life, and nothing is wasted by Him. Join us next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will offer part two of his study, Yes, God is Working Even in That. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 